Chapter Twelve of Why We Love Lincoln. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by John Brandon. Why We Love Lincoln by James Creelman. Chapter Twelve. Those who in peaceful times like these wonder why so strong and direct a man as lincoln should have been so eager to conciliate the haughty and rebellious confederacy to assure the rebels that there would be no coercion or invasion and to appeal to their historic national consciousness rather than to tell them in so many words that they would be scourged into obedience must consider that he at last realized the southern misunderstanding of his purpose and temperament which caused the governor of florida to write to the governor of south carolina if there is sufficient manliness at the south to strike for our rights honor and safety in god's name let it be done before the inauguration of lincoln not only that but mr seward the great republican leader of the east now secretary of state and one of the deadliest foes of slavery within three weeks wrote this advice change the question before the public from one upon slavery or about slavery for a question upon union or disunion no man knew or loved lincoln better than leonard sweet who made this deliberate analysis of him in dealing with men he was a trimmer and such a trimmer the world has never seen halifax who was great in his day as a trimmer would blush by the sight of lincoln yet lincoln never trimmed in principles it was only in his conduct with men besides lincoln was incapable of mere hatred all through the civil war he showed that his love for the whole american people was tidal it was his belief in the goodness of human nature and the justice of the union cause that made him grieve like a defied and deserted father over the erring southern insurgents and to hope with an intensity that drew prayer from his lips that the ties of race continental pride and common national memory would reunite the nation without the sacrifice and seal of bloodshed it was not for love of the negro that he waged war upon slavery but for the sake of justice and humanity and to save the nation from increasing degradation and demoralization true he had challenged the south when he said a house divided against itself cannot stand i believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free but he also said there is a physical difference between the white and black races which i believe will forever forbid the two races living together on terms of social and political equality and insomuch as they cannot so live while they do remain together there must be the position of superior and inferior and i as much as any other man am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race lincoln's private letters and conversations from his nomination to his election proved that there was one point only on which he would permit no compromise slavery must not be extended to the free territories but as president his one supreme duty was to save the union 
to prevent the destruction of the nation he was yet to write amid the roar of a conflict in which half a million lives were lost that agonized but unflinching letter to horace greeley i would save the union i would save it the shortest way under the constitution the sooner the national authority can be restored the nearer the union will be the union as it was if there be those who would not save the union unless they could at the same time destroy slavery i do not agree with them my paramount object in this struggle is to save the union and is not either to save or to destroy slavery if i could save the union without freeing any slave i would do it and if i could save it by freeing all the slaves i would do it and if i could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone i would also do that what i do about slavery and the colored race i do because i believe it helps to save the union and what i forbear i forbear because i do not believe it would help to save the union those who did not recognize the greatness of lincoln under his simple manners and kindly humble disposition assumed that he would be dominated by mr seward his scholarly and distinguished secretary of state the homespun picturesque orator of illinois was all very well to catch votes but mr seward would be the real president mrs lincoln heard the talk and mentioned it to her husband i may not rule myself but certainly seward shall not said lincoln the only ruler i have is my conscience following god in it and these men will have to learn that yet john hay his secretary and bosom friend who called lincoln the greatest character since christ wrote to mr herndon it is absurd to call him a modest man no great man was ever modest it was his intellectual arrogance and unconscious assumption of superiority that men like chase and sumner could never forgive still even though he stood rock-like where his mind and conscience told him that he was right a humbler simpler more unaffected man never walked the earth and there are libraries of books teeming with tales of his tenderness to women his love of little children his compassion for the unfortunate the first sign of the strong sure lincoln in the white house came when the new president on the day after his inauguration received a dispatch from major anderson declaring that he was short of provisions that fort sumter must be abandoned to the confederacy in a few weeks and that it would take at least twenty thousand soldiers to relieve charleston harbor from the confederate siege the whole federal army numbered only sixteen thousand men washington was filled with clamorous office-seekers who crowded the white house the president was distracted even his carriage was stopped by a greedy applicant and he was compelled to cry i won't open shop in the street with the secret news from fort sumter stirring his soul for no one knew better that immediate war depended on his action lincoln told stories cracked jokes and dealt with the thronging politicians 
in his old shrewd homely way none of the place hunters was permitted to suspect the impending tragedy that made him bow his head when he was alone meanwhile he ordered general scott to report what could be done but the old hero advised him that the abandonment of sumter was almost inevitable he had also ordered troops to be sent to relieve fort pickens in florida which was also menaced general scott reported that both pickens and sumter should be evacuated instantly the president ordered the navy department to prepare plans for a relief expedition for fort sumter that night he gave a great state dinner his humorous stories and quaint sallies of wit kept his guests in high spirits his lean face was convulsed with laughter his eyes sparkled and his thin high voice whipped up the merriment but as the night waned and the laughter died down he called the members of his cabinet aside and with haggard face and a voice of deep emotion he told them the news from general scott that night lincoln did not close his eyes the next day against the advice of five of his cabinet including mr seward all of whom advised the abandonment of fort sumter he ordered the preparation of a naval expedition to relieve major anderson additional troops and supplies were ordered into the beleaguered fort pickens in florida the confederate commissioners might see conferences with secretary seward in vain the expedition to rescue sumter sailed with orders to deliver food to the garrison and if opposed to force its way in lincoln's hand had signed the order that precipitated the civil war although the president had notified governor pickens of south carolina that the relief expedition simply contemplated the peaceful delivery of provisions to a garrison threatened by starvation the confederates immediately demanded the surrender of sumter with a pledge from major anderson that he should make no preparations to injure the fort after withdrawing this demand was refused by anderson who added if i can only be permitted to leave on the pledge you mention i shall never so help me god leave this fort alive again and again anderson was called upon to surrender sumter the confederates were determined to have the place before lincoln's supplies arrived each time the brave union officer replied that he would maintain his country's flag where it flew then came the crash which shook the continent and thrilled the civilized world at daybreak on april twelfth eighteen sixty one in the presence of a great multitude of civilian spectators in charleston harbor the rebel batteries opened fire on fort sumter and the union for two days the fort withstood the terrific bombardment and then with all food gone his quarters set on fire by red-hot cannon-balls and his ammunition almost exhausted major anderson lowered the stars and stripes to native-born americans and hoisted the white flag that was on saturday on sunday lincoln wrote a proclamation calling for seventy-five thousand volunteers to defend the union the same night douglas called at the white house 
Douglas the Democratic Thundering Douglas, the champion of slavery. Douglas the antagonist of Lincoln in almost every crisis of his career. Douglas, who in the Senate only a few weeks ago had cried, War is disunion. War is final, eternal separation. And Lincoln clasped hands with a brilliant rival from whom he had won his wife and the presidency now come to pledge his life to the defense of the union on monday morning lincoln's proclamation and douglas's noble and magnanimous declaration that he would support lincoln in saving the nation were read by the american people to the exultant shout that went up from the armed slave states there came an answering cry of rage and indignation from the free states the whole country trembled with the war spirit war 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 every city town and village in the north answered lincoln's call for troops to crush the rebellion farms and factories poured out their men streets were gay with bunting and noisy with marching feet industry was abandoned in the instant and tremendous preparation for the conflict yet lincoln's call for seventy-five thousand men was to grow into a call for a half a million men and a half a billion dollars and the struggle between the sixteen free states and the seven rebellious slave states with the border states hesitating between was to change into a four years death grapple between all the states of the south and all the states of the north a conflict without parallel in its horror and costliness mr stoddard one of lincoln's private secretaries thus described lincoln in the white house at the beginning of the war a remarkably tall and forward-bending form is coming through the further folding doors leaving them carelessly open behind him he is walking slowly heavily like a man in a dream his strongly marked features have a drawn look there are dark circles under his deep-set eyes and these seem to be gazing at something far away or into the future that countenance of unutterable sadness fixed gray eyes that seem to see something in the vacant air thin stooped shoulders bowed head hands clasped behind the back slow halting step and general air of weariness and melancholy abstraction was known only to those who saw lincoln when he wrestled alone with the agony of his burdens the greedy crowd that pressed for office the impatient fanatics who thrust their advice upon him the haughty statesmen who condescended to meddle with his powers the tricksters and traitors saw only the simple resolute vulgar kindly lincoln full of the old allure of anecdote and jest patient keen and ready in a flash to avoid an immature decision or soften a refusal by a witty epigram or an illuminating joke it is an astonishing evidence of lincoln's complex character that he could laugh and play like a careless boy and patiently putter over the small details of office-giving while the iron of his character was annealing in the furnace of war no more sensitive or imaginative man than lincoln ever lived 
his amazing sense of humor stayed him in his trial it was sometimes titanic has anything gone wrong at the front asked a friend seeing him downcast no replied the president with a weary smile it isn't the war it's the post office at brownsville missouri the deadly ceaseless shameless crowding and intriguing of place hunters notwithstanding the shock of war that threatened the nation itself made a profound impression on lincoln this human struggle and scramble for office for a way to live without work will finally test the strength of our institutions he said to mr herndon that has been the idea of every tormented president of the united states from washington to roosevelt he is an old criminal lawyer wrote one of his secretaries practiced in observing the ways of rascals accustomed to reading them and circumventing them but he does not commonly tell any man precisely what he thinks of him even so able a man as secretary seward did not at first recognize the force genius and dignity that lay behind the rough whimsical exterior of lincoln and gave himself the airs of a superior but presently even seward said he is the best of us all while the country was ringing with the sounds of marching men after the fall of fort sumter it was reported that a great force of confederates was moving against washington there were only four or five thousand troops in the capital a massachusetts regiment on the way to washington had been attacked by a mob the seventh regiment of new york was expected but the marylanders had torn up the tracks and it did not come the city was in danger of famine the confederate attack was hourly expected the capital was cut off lincoln's anguish was unconcealed walking up and down his office with a look of pain on his face he gave vent to his dread i begin to believe that there is no north the seventh regiment is a myth again he paced the floor for half an hour why don't they come why don't they come he groaned presently the new yorkers who had rebuilt the tracks and bridges from annapolis on marched into washington and within a week lincoln had seventeen thousand soldiers in the city it was this terror of losing washington that persuaded lincoln to withdraw mcdowell's forty thousand men from mcclellan when his army was within sight of richmond End of chapter twelve